Good morning, everyone. Let me uh, pray for us uh, this morning as we start. Let's pray. God, uh, I just uh, thank you for everyone here today. Um, Whatever needs that people are bringing to you, you know them. Even sometimes, even before we can even speak them, you know the groanings of our heart. So we come to church, we come to the body of Christ and familiar songs, but thank you for meeting us here. You have told us where two or more are gathered, you will be here in our midst. And we look with anticipation, with faith, that you're going to meet our needs today. God, I pray for um, those that will be listening today to today's message, either today or online in the future. God, I pray for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see, God, that you would have a message that would reach deep into their hearts, God, and bring truly salvation, uh, life, life life-giving life, water that uh, we we will thirst no more, that we'll have living water that will quench the desires of our hearts, and our souls, God. So I pray for the message today. In your son's name, amen. Amen. I'm kind of I'm having fun preparing the messages, so there's a little rat with some cheese there. You get a little audio visuals. How to resist temptation. So this is kind of a, a follow-up message to the other message I gave about... Uh, um, Uh, The sower and the seeds where life's worries, riches, and pleasures kind of choke out God in our lives. Different ways that Satan or the devil can um, turn us away from God and toward other trivial pursuits. We talked about earlier in New Year's, you know, we set up uh, uh, New Year's resolutions, goals, and aspirations um, from simple you know, New Year's goals to our aspirations, our moral aspirations, you know, our life aspirations. So uh, we come upon this character again in Genesis 3. I talked about uh, this character. We focused some time on the tempter. Um, We think of the tempter, the serpent, as this uh, character in this Bible story in the Garden of Eden. But he comes up again and again. In the passage today, we're going to be talking about Luke 4, and Satan tempts Jesus. So here are central characters to our life and faith in the Bible stories. Jesus, that we believe is the son of God, God himself, and here interacting with Satan. Before he starts his ministry, he he goes out into the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days, 40 days. And then this uh, tempter tempts Jesus. So here are some lessons that we're going to learn how to resist temptation from Jesus himself. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, um, oh, let me grab something. I'm going to have a
for us, the passage. If you want to turn to that passage, and get Luke chapter 4, verse 1, okay? So here's an overview of today's talk. Um, we're going to learn from this passage, uh, an easy way to learn. Um, we're going to sh- learn, it's in Luke chapter 4. It's going to show us four main vulnerabilities that Jesus had, and we can identify that as well. Four main vulnerabilities, four main ways the devil tempts the human heart, and four responses to resist the devil that Jesus modeled. Cain shows us two additional vulnerabilities, and then we're going to learn a four-letter word to when we find ourselves in temptation for application. So hopefully you see a theme there. What is it? Four. Thank you. Very good. Luke chapter four. So hopefully you'll remember some of this. Okay, go ahead and follow along. Luke chapter four and chapter four. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned. All right. My Bible program, program. It reads to me. This is the dramatized version of a Bible gateway, if you're interested. So, um, a couple points. Um, the story is also told in Matthew, and Matthew also adds, uh, do not put, let's see, man shall live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then here uh, at the end of it, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him for an opportune time, and Matthew adds, and angels came and attended him. So I did not see the, uh, so it's in Matthew as well. Okay, so Jesus was tested in the wilderness. He had been fasting for 40 days. And he had four main vulnerabilities. He was hungry, right? Any of you uh, have tried fasting? A couple of you, right? Um, Spiritual fasting for a day, a week, 
40 days. Wow. I didn't know that was possible. Now, in the Bible, uh, numbers are pretty significant. The number three, as you know, is a, a term for completeness, right? Um, same thing with the number seven, right? Seven times seven. How many times are we supposed to uh, uh, forgive our brother? Forty is also a significant number, right? Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. The Israelites were uh, wandering in the wilderness after the exodus for 40 days, or 40 years, rather, right? So Jesus was hungry. He was vulnerable. So this talks about a deficit in our physical needs, all right? Something to recognize. So at this point, um, Jesus was hungry physically, physically. Second, he was alone. He was by himself, away from relational accountability, he could have been lonely, right, in need of relational support, very much similar to when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He brought his disciples with him, and then going on a little further, he brought uh, three others uh, of his disciples to pray with him, keep watch over him. His disciples, his friends provided him with emotional support. So he was not only hungry, he was alone from relational accountability, and that's uh, it. Harkens of the parable of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son went off to a far-off land, away from family, friends, into a, not his hometown, uh, but away from accountability. And obviously, he was tired. He was fatigued, possibly physically, probably mentally, spiritually as well. So here. We can identify with Jesus. Jesus was hungry. He was alone. He was possibly lonely. And he was tired. So here the tempter, Satan, uh, exploits these uh, vulnerabilities by um, tempting him by trying to satisfy his basic hunger. So his basic hunger, what... I don't know about you, sometimes if I forget my lunch at uh, work um, and I had just a minimal amount of lunch, coming home from work, the first thing on my mind, do I go home for 20 minutes or do I go on my McDonald's app and get something right around the corner on the way home, <laughs> right? It's so tempting when we're hungry. So this made me think about, I believe the tempter tempts us with instant gratification of our physical needs. In fact, there is an algorithm, an algorithm out there that experts use to what? Tickle your fancy, to uh, pique your interest. They use it every time you're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Netflix, or even Google search. You type something in, you look at something, and guess what? It logs in, oh, you're interested in this type of ad. Ah, you're interested in this type of video. And guess what? It starts popping up more and more and more. Um, I don't know about you guys. Uh, my son occasionally sends me a reel, a Facebook reel. It's like a little short TikTok video. And uh, innocently, you tap on it, 
and you go, ha, 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 okay. And then guess what? Right after that, another one comes up. And then another one. And then another one. And the next thing you know, I've been on that phone for 45 minutes looking at goofy videos or whatever it is, right? Um, it's an algorithm that they use. Now, who is they? You know, they, you know, big corporate uh, advertising um, uses it for to sell ads and make money. And it's on every media that we use. It's on Google, Google search. So I believe this is how the tempter tempts us with instant gratification using this algorithm. And uh, if you think about it, they appeal to our five senses. If you look, some of my friends, if you look on Facebook, how many of you guys are on Facebook? A couple of you guys, right? If you look at your friends' posts, right, what is it? Everything that they experience, they put on Facebook or tell you about. If you don't have Facebook, it's what people talk about. They email you, they send you a photo. This is where we ate. This is what we saw. This is what we did. I believe this, the tempter tempts us with instant gratification. Tempts us with our five senses. Can we name our five senses? Let's see how smart we are. What are our five senses? I always get four, like right off the bat, and I'm like, what's the other one? Okay, help me out. Sight, smell, taste, touch, and Hearing, there you go. I was stuck on that one this morning. I go, gosh, I know there's another one. So I had to ask, Siri, what are the five senses? Okay. Hearing, right. So I look at my fans' Facebook posts, you know, all the things that they've tasted, all the things that they've seen, all the things that they've done, all the things that uh, appeal to our senses. Instant gratification. And what, um, I'm going to talk about how Jesus resisted those temptations, but these are the other ways Satan tempted Jesus. Worshiping power and pleasure. Worshiping power or pleasure. He says, shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you, uh, uh, you could have all these things tempting you. And I was going to talk about um, worshiping power, pleasure, um, all the things you can experience on a cruise line. <laughs> when they welcome you, they're going to say uh, all these wonderful things that you can experience. And I was going to talk about that, but we have to, uh, I'll talk about more about, it's not just worshiping power and uh, riches and the th all the things that money can buy. But Satan talks, what does he say at the end of it? I'll give you all these things if, what? You worship me. Oh, now that's pretty significant and heavy, and we'll get back to that a little bit later. And then he tests God to prove yourself, uh, that you're God, prove it to me, demonstrate it, um, and this is how Jesus resists the temptation. Sorry, the font's a little small, but I'll read it for you. 
These are the four ways that uh, Jesus uh, resisted the temptation that are instructive for us. Je- uh, the, uh, the tempter, Satan tempts us with instant gratification, all by our appetites. But Jesus says, you shall not tempt, uh, man shall not live by bread alone. And that kind of stops there in Luke. But then Matthew adds, but by every word that proceeds by the mouth of God. So it's interesting that in Matthew 6, brought to mind, for pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. But Jesus says, quotes scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. So by God's very word reminds us, just like in Psalm 42, we need to live not just by our five senses, but there's much more than just eating, sleeping, pooping, okay? (laughs) Someone said, that's... That uh, sums up life. Eating, sleeping, and it's greeting. <laughs> sums up life. There's much more to life than just what we consume, right? We are consumers. What is, what is our American economy built on? Consumers. The economy goes into recession, depression. How do we get out of it? The government encourages us to spend and buy and consume. We are a consumer society. Life is much more than just consuming, gathering more and more and consuming. Jesus, interestingly, goes by a very... I've always wondered why he, he said, but man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very words that come from the mouth of God. So being in fellowship, listening to a diet, it's almost like uh, uh, being deficient in a certain vitamin. There's something that is vital to our lives, and that is studying the word of God, praying to God. And what does God's word say? Do not stop meeting together like some are in the habit of doing. So how do we know that? How are we exhorted to do that, to be in fellowship with each other? By listening to God's word. Just like Jesus meeting the woman at the well, going for water over and over again, and Jesus saying, if you knew who you were talking about, talking to, I can give you water that you won't have to, that'll be living water, that you'll thirst no more. And what a wonderful desire. And I think this is the essence of this passage here, is the woman saying, Give me some of this water that you're talking about. This living water that I won't be thirsty anymore. Psalm 42 talks about, As a deer pants for water, streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Secondly, The serpent uh, tempts 
The major thing is to tempt Jesus with riches of the, the, the kingdoms of the world, all the things that wealth and kingdoms can provide, power, authority, riches, and splendor, if you worship me. I was going to talk about, you know, materialism and, and things like that, and there's certainly many passages about the, um, the ills of money, such as in Matthew 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you would be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both money and God. Now, money is not an evil thing. There are many, many passages in the Bible about money. In fact, I think that's the number one theme in the Bible, <laughs> are, are illustrations about money. Um, there's so many uh, passages about being a good steward of our finances, right? The, the parable of the talents, getting an increase, being wise about our finances. So this is not what this is talking about. Um, it's about worshiping money. Not only worshiping money, but get this. This is the point I want to preach about today. It's not just teach. If we're worshiping money, there's nothing wrong with pursuing a career, going to school, um, investing in a 401k. Last time I talked about invest a certain amount of money when you're uh, 18 or 19. And by the time you retire, you'll have over a million dollars to retire, retire on. Taking care of yourself there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's wise. There's nothing wrong with um, searching the internet looking for the best return on your savings. Did you know I just sent something uh, to uh, banks, your savings accounts just a few months ago were earning what? Less than a percent, right? I sent Eric something this morning. Hey, how much are you getting on your savings account? Mine's getting 4.21. What are you guys getting? Anybody getting more than four and a half, four point two percent on your savings? You can do that. That's wise. But I think what this is talking about is the worship of those things. The worship. Now that preaches very well. Everybody's heard that before. But when you worship this master, you know what's happening? You're not worshiping God. It takes away from our growth and worship of God. The life-sustaining worship and the food and the water and God's word and teaching, all the things that sustain us, that is what we're missing out on. When we worship um, status, popularity, and the riches, we're devoting our whole life to these things, these pursuits. And it takes away from the worship of God. Friends, I thought, I thought about this. I think we are deceived. We are truly deceived in what are building our life upon. I believe the American dream is deceiving us. Listen to Luke 9.25. So poignant, so impactful. Then Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must dis deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What good 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit your very self? Friends, I believe we are ill-prepared for the storms of life that will come. I believe the world, our society, ill-prepares us for the storms of life that come. The American dream, right, is to build wealth, have security, have our toys, have our cars, have our all these things that give us pleasure. But what good is it if we forfeit our very lives? I believe we're deceived in build, building our foundation. And we're going to and we're ill-prepared for the storms of life that will come. I know friends now, uh, in kind of my, my contemporaries, my age, and we all had very similar uh, life's goals and, and dreams and pursuits of what we wanted our life to be like. But those without, that are rich in the world, but yet poor and heavily things, are going to be have a crisis when all these things, all these riches that we think were important are going to be taken away from us. And in fact, sometimes they're going to be ripped away from us. Our wealth, our health, our relationships. If you have lived a number of years, you know what I'm talking about. They will be, they are going to be taken away. I believe everything that our American dream, the world, tells us to be prepared for, to build our foundation, is going to be very ill-prepared when the true storms of life come. When health, when relationships are taken from us, what is our foundation going to be on? And the only thing that can prepare us is to be rich in heavenly things is to be rich and right with our relationship with God. It's easy to simply to stay general, but in my experience as a minister, when people have come to me in the depths of some, their spouse just left them, and what, are, what, is, what good is it to gain the whole world but let, yet lose you know, the things that are going to sustain us. I have a friend that uh, um, basically has lost everything due to his health. His occupation, all the things that he was able to accomplish are, are gone. Zero, nothing, ill-prepared to face life. And I think we deny, our society denies aging <laughs> and uh, what's going to come when we, when we get older. We deny these things. How, what's going to happen? Joanne and I finally, I'm almost 60 now, finally filled out our living trust. Right? Uh, something I should have done a long time ago, but it's something I didn't really want to think about. I didn't want to think about, okay, when I die, where are my assets going to go? 
I don't want to talk about that. When I die, where am I going to be buried? In fact, I still haven't answered that question. You know, am I going to have a traditional burial? I'm going to be cremated? I'm going to buy a plot? Whatever. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> in fact, our trust is already done and gone, but it's kind of an open-ended question that uh, um, I haven't still ad yet addressed. But to be gain the whole world, yet to lose our very life, to be ill-prepared is what Jesus is talking about. Briefly, I'm going to talk about, um, you could just jot in your notes, Cain, uh, Adam and Eve's, I guess, uh, I don't know if he was the oldest son or not, one of his, their two sons, shows us two additional vulner vulnerabilities. When he offered God, Cain and Abel offered an offering to God, and Abel's offering was accepted, and Cain's was not. And because of God explaining later that Cain didn't do the right thing, he didn't offer the right offering, or the right attitude, or the right spirit, Cain was hurt. <laughs> His ego was hurt, right? And what did the scripture say? He was angry. He was very angry. And he was tempted out of these two vulnerabilities to definitely not do the right thing. He ended up uh, murdering his brother. That was his solution. So when we have a blow to our ego, our self-worth, if we have a scarcity mentality, either real or perceived offenses, we can harbor those things and justify our actions like he no doubt did. But God exhorted him, sin is crouching at your door and you must rule over it. So if we add these together, this is the application. When you find yourself in temptation, the way to help us rule over it is to remember this word, halt. Before you're tempted to be tempted and to go down a path for instant gratification or to make poor choices or to repeat patterns in your life that are not productive or profitable, think of this word, halt. This four-letter word, what does it stand for? When you're hurt or hungry, when you're angry or alone, lonely or tired, we are vulnerable. Jesus shows us that we are vulnerable. Halt. Recognize that before you make any major decisions or turning to McDonald's, recognize what state we're in. Recognize are our needs met. So this is the application. To recall are to recall that Satan tempts us with these four things by appealing to our basic needs, tempting us with instant gratification, tempting us with worshiping power, authority, and material things and riches that we hear from every 
media source, right? Every media source we see is appealing to our five senses. If you're not on social media or those things, every advertisement, what they're selling, they're appealing to our five senses. I think even there's a fifth, fifth sense. Remember that uh, movie, The Fifth Element? Right? Remember there's earth, wind, fire. Remember you guys remember that movie? You guys are of my vintage. There's earth, wind, fire, and water, I think. What's a fourth? Four elements. But I think there's even a fifth element, and that is appealing to our, our, our sense of relationship. I always put uh, in my notes, Red Baron Pizza. <laughs> Look up Red Baron Pizza advertisements. What is it? There's this lady, and there's this like handsome Red Baron guy coming in dashing attire, sweeping this lady off her feet. What are they selling? Pizza. But they're selling, appealing to this fifth uh, sense, the sense of romance. You see it in uh, Mr. Clean, right? This big, hunky guy. What are they selling? Cleaning product. <laughs> but they made it sexy, <laughs> Mr. Clean. So recognize these things. Recognize halt. Recognize our vulnerabilities. And recognize the main ways that Satan tempts us by appealing to our basic needs, instant gratification, tempting us with worshiping, Okay? Worshiping is a strong word, right? But this is how Satan uh, tempts us, all right? Tempt is not a very strong word, right? But this is what he did, the serpent, with, our, with Adam and Eve in the garden. All right? It didn't sound that evil. It didn't sound that bad. But what did he start with? Did God really say these things, offering these little seeds of doubt, looking at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve says to herself, wow, it looks good for food. You know, I think I need that. Like I said before, it's like happens every time I walk into Costco. <laughs> All right. You go in for cleaning products. You go in for a chicken. That's what I go in for and some pasta, and then all these little shiny things uh, uh, speak to you, right? And in fact, that is actually Costco's business model, if you didn't know that. They, they sell staples, and then they sell luxury items in the same store. <laughs> so for those that have uh, want to save money, they go there. For those that have a little extra money, they have things to buy. For those that have a lot of money, they sell diamond rings there. My goodness. Emeralds, rubies, <laughs> all at your Costco. And it goes through our minds just like, wow, it looks good for food. I think I need that. And it's appealing to the eye. Those are the simple things that go into the temptation of Adam and Eve. So there we go. This is today's message. I hope it's profitable for you. Remember... What number? 
4. This is out of Luke 4. Luke 4, 1, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus shows us four vulnerabilities. Four plus two from Cain, okay? Four plus two from Cain. It shows us Satan's, the tempter's main temptations for us, which are appealing to our five senses. And remember, when you're in the midst of temptation, this letter, this word, halt. Halt. I like it because it not only is an acronym of meaning a lot, but just the word. It tells you to stop, wait a minute, before I... What's that, Lord of the Rings? Have second breakfast? Before it's 11.30 and I'm tired, I'm bored or whatever. Oh, I think I want to cook a bowl of noodles or something. It's like, I'm not hungry. I'm bored is what I am. So before you make those decisions, before you're tempted, think about these things. Halt. All right. Um, Let's go ahead and bow together in prayer as we close our time today. God, we thank you for your word that is like water to a deer. As a deer pants for water, God, our souls pant for you to come to us as we strive and strain to you, God. Give give us this living water that will satisfy our souls. God, even in our own lives and our friends and our families, we see that people are ill-prepared, God, for the storms of life that will come. Achieving the American dream, all the trivial pursuits that we have done that we can do, what good is it? What good is it to be rich, rich Americans, God, but yet poor toward heavenly things? The things that will last. You tell us what, don't store up treasures where moth and vermin and Things will rot away. Things will go away. You tell us in the book of uh, Proverbs, the same fate comes to the full and the rich. The same fate. And where will our riches go that we spend our whole life accumulating? God, you thank you for the example of Jesus. You yourself were tempted took on a human form and can identify with every temptation that we have known. Every temptation. God, some of the temptations that we have had and failed at, we are shameful for, God. But you can identify. You can empathize. God, we thank you for the plan of victory that you lay out for us. You have told us in your word that we are debtors that can't pay. We, are, we cannot be perfect, God. And we come to you for salvation, God, by recognizing our own fallen nature, our sin. We come to you and realize that you, God, you are holy, that we stand on holy ground when we come to church, God. When we pray, when we come to you, when we worship you, we worship a holy God. 
But we remember, we remember, and we come with a contrite heart knowing that we will be held accountable for all the good and bad that we have done and things in our lives and our faults and failings. But we remember, God, that you are a loving and merciful God, even over your sense of justice, God. And so we, we receive you today. We receive you. We were reminded that I'm gonna re- I am your son. I am your daughter. And we thank you for your grace, your mercy to be your children. And we're going to respond just like the uh, uh, parable we talked about last week. In gratitude, God. The person who has been forgiven much loves much. So we thank you, God, with a heart of gratitude, Lord. We thank you for your grace and goodness. And all God's people said, amen.